listening to OT Uncorked. I'm your host, Miranda Rennie. On OT Uncorked, we uncork hot topics in occupational therapy and a bottle of wine. Today, I'm excited because this episode is the first of a few where recent graduates and students get to share the research they conducted as part of their OT degrees. Student research is exciting and energized. It often explores emerging practice areas and hot topics in our profession, and we have so much to learn from each other, so I'm really looking forward to sharing these episodes with you. In this episode, I talked with Caitlin Clark, an OT student who will graduate next month with her OTD. She conducted her capstone project in a county jail working with incarcerated women to support their well-being and to help them prepare for life back in the community. Well, Caitlin, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited today to hear about the work you did uh, as part of your OTD capstone. Really interesting topic and um, something that I feel like I've heard about bits and pieces from other OTs and in research, but it's definitely an area where I think OTs can have more of a presence. So uh, can you just give us a brief overview of what your capstone involved? Yeah. um, So I actually partnered with a local agency here in Nashville, Tennessee, the Davidson County Sheriff's Office. And um, I worked on the women's side of the facility, um, looking at reentry programs that were currently established through the county jail and what was offered and how OT could best use our skill set in an environment like that. So it was over the course of 14 weeks that I did a bunch of observing and program development and interventions with these women um, in the facility. So what initially inspired you to work with the county sheriff's office and then specifically with women in the jail? So I've always kind of had this strong passion for mental health, and I think it's such an underserved um, new emerging practice area that it just, my passion for it is so deep that I wanted to figure out a way to really take this um, capstone experience and make it something that was going to be meaningful. So one of the programs that I initially wanted to start with the sheriff's office was they were going to take shelter dogs, have the inmates train them, and then place them with disabled veterans. Because of the whole COVID thing, that kind of got put on the back burner. So I had to reformulate my whole um, project and just kind of do the groundwork for that, but it also kind of took on a body of its own. So why don't you give us a little bit of background information about what sparked that? Because like you said, it's an emerging practice area. It's not necessarily part of every academic program curriculum. So is that something that you were exposed to in school? Is this a passion of yours that just really merged nicely with OT? So two parts to the question. So Um, Prior to going actually into OT school, I was in the United States Army for six years. I was active duty, um, deployments and training and all that. And then when I got out, my own experiences and then close friends of mine and their experiences kind of really honed in on this like OT profession and this mental health aspect of it. And then fast forward three years, you know, finishing out OT school, I had an amazing 
um, faculty mentor, Dr. Christine Manville, who is just such an advocate in the mental health um, profession and like just doing so much great work here in Nashville that it was just kind of, it aligned very well with my passion. So. So this is really coming from that personal lived experience. Did you feel like you were seeing um, a lot of positive um, sort of treatment of mental health and support in the army um, in your experiences and in the experiences of your friends, or was this really driven out of, of not seeing the right supports? I think it's a combination of both. The services are there. I'm not going to say that they're not because they are, but I think there's such a stigma attached to seeking help even outside of the army in today. It's just people are ill, like they're just afraid or they're undereducated or they just don't know the resources that are available. But I think it is harder when you're incarcerated and you couple, you know, incarceration with mental illness, substance abuse disorders, and just a whole bunch of lack of resources and it just compiles and it just there's so much need there I, I can talk forever about it yeah absolutely so you saw this need and you said kind of the first uh, idea or phase of the project was to be supporting veterans by having people in the criminal justice system raising dogs from a shelter so that is a really really cool combination of lots of different populations um, that are can kind of have special needs, have, have unique needs that you can um, meet. And I, I love that sort of like symbiotic relationship. Um, what kind of prompted that? Have you seen programs like that elsewhere? Um, so I did a lot of back um, research prior to starting this project, seeing what was currently offered at other facilities, you know, kind of how that played out and kind of seeing what Nashville needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wanted to start the program. But because of everything, it kind of got put on the back burner. So it was essentially supposed to be started March of this year. Um, so unfortunately, it didn't. But I mean, I've laid the groundwork for future either students or coworkers to kind of go forth. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, this whole time right now has really set back a lot of plans. I kind of had to relook at my project and go, how else can I help serve these people? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where my project took a turn. So I looked at what skills are they, you know, these individuals lacking in the jail, really looking at occupational deprivation, I think is a huge thing. We don't really know or see a whole lot about mm-hmm. in the jail. So it was bringing to light those issues and then interviewing, did a lot of motivational interviewing and um, identifying what assessment tools could be used in this kind of setting and what interventions and short-term, long-term goal planning and just so much. So when you went through that whole needs assessment, basically, is kind of what you're describing and you were doing all that interviewing and really just trying to understand um, what would be the best way for OT to intervene, what were you finding were some of those skills that were really lacking or some of those opportunities for OT? Um, so looking at what current programs were offered to these inmates, um, they have education programs, um, a ton of substance and alcohol recovery um, based programs 
but nothing that specifically looked at these basic life skills that, you know, kind of OTs are honed in on. Like, okay, so you're released from jail. I give you a piece of paper and it says you have a meeting with your parole officer at such and such date. What I was finding when talking with some of these women was I don't know how to navigate a bus system. I don't have money to get on the bus. Um, the basic job skills, how do I apply? What does a resume look like? Um, we're just establishing like a healthy routine. Um, so we worked a lot on building just daily routines um, and you know monitoring activity and caffeine intake and just doing a lot of mindfulness training. So it was all these skills that I wanted to like kind of, you know, present to them, but then have them see, okay, well outside you have to take these basic skills and use them further. So there was just no plan for these inmates once they left. You can give them all the resources inside the jail, but if there's no like follow through once they leave, I feel like that's when those numbers of recidivism rate mm -hmm. increase. So yeah, it is a lot, um, but I think it's a really important uh, topic to explore a little bit more because as you were saying, all those life skills are um, areas where OTs and other professionals can really enter in and support their return to community because it's exactly what you're pointing out, those high recidivism rates, um, reading some articles. It's not that people want to be back in jail, but when you only know how to function within that environment, right? We're all about environments as OTs. If that's the only environment in which you know how to perform, you know what's expected of you, you know how to get resources that you need, it's not surprising that people would end up back there, right? Or we were finding on the other end of the spectrum, so you have someone who's got maybe schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, and they haven't had the skills to, you know, manage their medication. So it's like, okay, well, how do I fill a prescription? What does that look like? Creating medication logs or just those skills that can transfer out because once you're out there, things change. Um, mm -hmm. Life stressors happen. This is a very structured environment. It's very rigid. It's very like predictable. Mm -hmm. Life isn't predictable as we know. Not at all. <laughs> so kind of just having those open conversations with them and being completely transparent and be like, you know, this is hard, but I'm here to help you. And I think another thing was like a lot of them suffered from co-occurring disorders where it was like substance abuse or alcohol abuse. And it's just, it's this cycle. Yeah. Um, so finding healthy leisure activities that they could pursue outside of jail. Um, a lot of them liked arts and crafts. So we did a lot of that. <laughs> right back to OT's origins in the arts and crafts movement. <laughs> Yep, it exactly. still works. <laughs> so you were identifying all these needs and it sounds like there's quite a lot of them and it really does sound like OT is a good fit for that. What was the experience of actually designing a program? And is this a kind of program that's very individualized, um, sort of more like typical OT treatment Were these group sessions, you know, what, what was kind of the plan? Um, so initially when I started, it was maybe interviewing one or two women a week, kind of, it wasn't someone I was quote unquote assigned to. It was just, I kind of let them approach me when they felt comfortable. I didn't want to come in as a corrections officer presence where it was just this overbearing. Like I just wanted to be comfortable. Um, and the more I was there, I was there five days a week, eight hours a day. Like 
I, my presence was known. Um, and I think the more they saw me, they were comfortable talking. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did a lot of open ended individual sessions. Um, and then I got paired with Sheila Stenson. Um, she's the second chances coordinator in this program. And she takes nine to 12 women in her puppy program. And that's kind of where I spent the majority of my time. And we did a lot of group activities with the women. So I did my one-on-one, maybe short-term planning, short-term goal planning, long-term goals. What does that look like? And then as a group, we might do like group discussions on a specific topic or activities as a group. So it was kind of just bringing everything full circle for them. What would you say is maybe maybe what are some important considerations when working with this population that, um, you know, I think for one, you mentioned letting people approach you and that choice to me feels really like an important piece. Uh, not that you're, like you said, another officer, another person that's yeah. enforcing something, but rather you're a resource for them. Um, what other what other kind of um, differences between this practice and maybe more traditional settings did you notice? I think in this setting specifically, it's very personal. You get to know these women on probably like their deepest level. If they're comfortable, they're going to let you know. Um, And I think having the biggest takeaway from this I learned is just building rapport and that whole therapeutic use of self that for me was the biggest takeaway, just allowing them to have that autonomy and that freedom to Mm -hmm. like come and like be like, Hey, I'm struggling with this or I'm upset because of this. Okay. Well, let's sit down. Let's talk about it. And I kind of just was that quote unquote friend that Mm -hmm. wasn't there to like get them in trouble or judge them. It was just at the end of the day, they're humans. They still have feelings. They still have wants. They still have needs. Um, And I think if we can just wrap our brains around that, yeah, they've done some things, they're there. Okay, but they're still humans at the end of the day who deserve respect and, you know, help. That's that's awesome. I feel like that really highlights just the importance of having um, like a counterbalance to some of the methods of the criminal system. And I think you could probably speak to this way better than I could, but the idea of what the, what our criminal justice system um, uses for punishment is really deprivation based, right? Deprives people, like you said, of that autonomy and that freedom. We've talked about choice, that personalization, that people don't always get referred to by their names or they aren't treated any differently than the person next to them. They're seen as criminals, not as all the other identities that they have. So with that, is there, is there any, anything else you think that like OT can really bring to the table and that, that people potentially interested in working in this setting um, might want to keep in mind? Um, I think right now, because it is such an emerging practice area, it's just education, education, education. It's just people don't know enough about how amazing OT is. And I think our unique skill set just really can shine in an area like this. And I think just reaching out to agencies like this or just making our presence known as like a profession is really cool. So I think just education, educate people on what we can do, how we can help them. Um, That's going to be the biggest change in all of this. Mm -hmm. 
So it seems like the women you were working with um, were fairly receptive and you were able to develop rapport. What was it like working with the other staff in in the jail with these other resource, like community-based resources, um, the sheriff's office? What was their reception of OT? Um, so day one, walking in, student, they had no idea who I was, why I was there. Um, so I spent a good chunk of my 14, 15 weeks just explaining what I was doing, why I was doing it. And I think the more people heard it and then saw it in action, they were like, oh, we get it. And that was kind of really cool to see. Um, they're amazing. Like DCSO and Core Civic as a whole, the people that work there are amazing. Um, mm-hmm. I worked side by side with corrections officers, sheriffs, wardens, um, social work, caseworkers, um, nurses. So I got to interact with a lot of different professions and just really ask questions that, you know, I wanted to know. And it almost felt like a very level playing ground where it was, I was there to learn. They were receptive to me being there. So it was very, very nice. Good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I think that a lot of times you're right. People don't always know what to do with an OT um, when it's not in a traditional setting. And so that ability to really um, advocate for what we do, describe it. I love that you're asking them questions about what they do. So you can kind of find those really good opportunities for collaboration. Yeah. But this is, this is kind of, like you said, it's emerging. It's kind of new ground. So were you able to find resources for yourself to help you talk about OT's role beyond obviously your, your education as an OT. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to dig into some journals. Um, what I found though, between, I used a lot of Canadian, um, OT journals or UK, um, OT journals. They are kind of the pioneers of all this. And I hate to say it, but the U S is kind of lacking in this. Um, so that's why I was so passionate. I was like, I want to do this. This is where I want to be. I want to help. Um, but I did find through reading, you know, we all know what the need is there. It's just how to get it known, which is very cool. But there was one school in Pennsylvania. You'll have to excuse me. I forget. It's okay. Can't put my finger on it. We'll but figure there, it out and we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> we'll put it in there. But there's a school or um, a facility in Pennsylvania who actually they have a full time OT within their um, jail, which is amazing. So I read kind of their case study and implementation of that and just kind of took notes from it. Not saying that I was going to do this overnight, but it was nice to know that it was coming of age. It was, it was Mm -hmm. happening. So that was cool. And then you actually created resources moving forward um, to help out some of the programs that are already in existence um, with DCSO second chances, and then also that Dogs for Veterans program. So tell us about what you created and kind of the legacy of this project that's going to carry on at the jail. Um, So with the Dogs for Veterans program, I worked with Operation Standdown, which is our veteran partnership, um, DCSO, and then the hired um, animal trainer. Her name is Jennifer. Um, but those were my party's involvement and what they really needed was like a program manual of an eight week assignment, um, kind of follow through of all the things we had expected of them. So every week the inmate in this program was going to be expected to read a certain chapter out of the book, answer discussion questions, um, 
take mini quizzes. So I kind of typed that whole eight week program out, you know, what the program was going to look like, what were our policies, um, how everything was just going to develop, um, handed that off. So that was one part. <laughs> and then with the second chances program, I did um, screening forms because we have women who can come in and out, but we can't take any more than 12. Um, so because of court cases and um, sentencing lengths, women can kind of come and go, but we needed a way to screen them. And so I created three individual screening forms. One was kind of an employment based. Okay. What's your previous employment history. Um, one was more occupation-based, so what do you like to do? What are your roles? That kind of thing. And then the third one was kind of just a history. Have you ever had pets? Um, have you ever been bitten by a dog? Because, you know, you've never That's been around It is. Um, so I left those screening forms. Um, I created um, a list of probably a running list of like 50 or 60 activities and interventions that I did with the women or was planning on doing. Um, so we did a lot of interactive journaling, which they loved. Um, I would give them a topic. They would turn in their journals, say on a Wednesday or Thursday, I'd make notes or write little quotes in them and I'd hand them back. Hmm. And it wasn't to judge. It was just to be like, this is an open place for you to write your thoughts. So we did that. <laughs> were those journal entries about what you, what they were learning or what you guys were discussing? And like, what did you feel like was the fruit of that? Um, um, that so, experience? so a lot of it was, well, do you believe in a good quality of life? What does your quality of life look like right now? What are some roles, you know, ro as we know, roles aren't, you know, all positive, some are negative. So they were able to like self-identify. Okay. I'm an addict. Well, I don't want to be this. So we took a lot of self-awareness um, and then even just fun topics. Like if you could be a different animal, what would you be and why? <laughs> um, so it's just, it really kind of depended on who was in the group at the time and what the dynamics were and kind of what we might've talked about. We did a lot of self-awareness topics, discussion-based. My running list is so long. <laughs> <laughs> Those sound like great, really occupation-based activities that would really allow people to be vulnerable and explore some of those topics that maybe otherwise they don't really have like a platform to do that. So Yeah. Even with case managers that I worked on, they were so involved on, okay, here's your sentencing timeline. Here's this. Um, here's what you need to do. But no one was really talking to them on an individual level and being like, what do you want to do when you get out of jail? Mm -hmm. Where do, what's your plan? Like you can throw someone a resource guide of, okay, here's what's available in the community. But it's, I think what I was seeing is women, A, were scared of the unknown. They didn't know how mm -hmm. to like navigate that community world. So it was sitting down and just being like, okay, well, what's the first thing we're going to do? What's step one? So we did a lot of small, small goals. <laughs> Now, I know everybody's situation is different. Obviously, there's as many step ones as there are people, I'm sure. But what does that experience look like for someone who's been incarcerated for some amount of time and they're, they're leaving that situation? They're going back out into the community. I mean, what does that even look like? They, they leave the jail and what's next? I mean, what do they do? I think it depends. I've talked to women who have family support 
expert on the outside, which is amazing. Um, and then I've talked to women who their kids are not with them anymore. They have no family support. They have no money. Um, they left an awful situation. So I think knowing and having both mindsets was helpful. Um, but specifically for someone maybe who didn't have any resources being like, okay, we know this is kind of where you struggle. Maybe this local transition home or this local community house might be better for you. So we, I would set up phone interviews um, okay. with, you know, trans, transitional homes or quote unquote halfway houses in the community being like, would this be an option? Just kind of getting them to say, okay, there is something out there waiting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is scary just to like, I can't even imagine just being locked up for a year and then being like, okay, go figure it out. Right. I couldn't even fathom. So it was anything. If they came to me and said, Hey, Miss Caitlin, I don't know what to do. Would you mind Googling this house for me? I heard about mm-hmm. it. Sure. Let's look it up. Let's figure it out. And I think okay. that was the cool thing I got to see where it was like, okay, let me help you plan your next step. So it was taking those little pieces and just really kind of walking side by side with them. That's huge. I can't imagine, like, like you just said, I can't imagine leaving and not having anything um, set up and not, like you said, not knowing how to navigate the community, not knowing where these resources are, you know, even like you said, just having access to the internet is huge. And yes, there's like local libraries, but how do you get to the local library and how do you prove residents that you can get a library card? I mean, even the, the free resources, it seems like there's a lot of barriers to getting to them. Right. And when you're locked up, you don't have a phone or a laptop. You can just openly go and Google stuff. It was very regimented on what they Mm -hmm. could do. Um, They couldn't just freely do that. So it was, it was a lot of work on my back end where I'd, they'd say or ask a question, I'd come home and I'd look it up Mm -hmm. and then I'd take what I found back to them the next day. Um, Cause I can't bring in certain documents. Um, Right. It was just very regulated on what they could have. And on that note, what were some of those other institutional barriers that you faced? Um, Even like you just said, you'd have to go home to search something with them. Even with the interviews, were they allowed to just get on the phone with one of these transitional homes and talk with them? Um, So between the caseworkers that worked at the jail and then myself, we'd kind of formulate, you know, a plan or just be like, is it okay if they call? Because at the end of the day, I'm still a student, so I have mm-hmm. to ask, um, you know, other people if that's okay. Um, they do have pay phones within the jail or, like, the pod that they can use. So a lot of them would, if they had money on their books, could, you know, call on their own. Um, but if they didn't or they didn't know how to go about it, we would let them come into the office, and, you know, and we'd sit there with them. Um, but never were they left alone to do all this. So... Yeah. yeah. You mentioned too, another um, sort of limitation just of being a, mm-hmm. or a secure facility um, and having those restrictions. You said you couldn't bring in certain documents. Yeah. Um, so if anything had a spiral notebook or staples, those couldn't be brought in. So I did an activity with them. Um, we did vision boards. So we wrote mm-hmm. short term goals where we kind of saw our lives going, you know, what they kind of envisioned for their future in a more positive light. Mm-hmm. So I collected magazines and wanted to do this huge project with them. The morning I get there and I'm like, I have all these magazines. Some of them couldn't go because they had whatever 
graphic, not graphic information, but mm-hmm. information they didn't want to go past the wall. So that was interesting. Um, everything kind of had to be in plastic clear containers. Um, if I had files of like, you know, interviews that I had done, I couldn't have names on them. I couldn't have like ID numbers and it sounds so bad, but I started like just identifying them based on like an animal and being like, Oh, okay. It's clever. But it was a way for me to keep track of everyone in a sense. Cause I couldn't have ID numbers. I couldn't have their name. I couldn't have initials. Right. So I had to come up with a way to like, <laughs> work is this? That's what we did. Well, that's pretty um, clever too, but definitely you need to be resourceful oh, to work hard. in this setting. Mm-hmm. Hard. Um, but I was thankful we could use composition books, um, the ones without spirals. So those are allowed or just loose, loose leaf paper. We did a lot of that. Um, okay. Yeah. You also mentioned you had to find assessment tools that would be appropriate for this setting. And you mentioned some of the screening forms that you came up with. Um, but as we know, at any time we want to prove that we are a valuable asset to any population or setting. People love to see the numbers and they love to see assessment tools and they can be good for goal setting. So what did you identify as possible assessment tools? And so first and foremost, role um, checklist, interest checklist, um, mm-hmm. and then developing like occupational profiles. I wanted um, the COPM, mm-hmm. anything that was occupation-based. So the OCARES, the Occupational Circumstance Assessment, Interview and Rating Scale, um, Assessment of Motor and Process Skills, just seeing where they were at. Um, this Occupational Self-Assessment. Um, I think in here, it's so important, everything is self-reported because not everyone you see there is gonna have like some rehab injury. Mm-hmm. So it's seeing meeting them where they're currently at and wh- what do they envision for themselves. So I think those were a few that I looked at. A big thing was the communication and their social interaction skills. So definitely wanted an assessment for that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you kind of have this battery set up where you can kind of pick and choose just like we would in any other setting, which ones are going to be most appropriate for that person. But you really found these very occupation-based options. Well, and it was hard too because there wasn't an OT during this project mm-hmm. that I followed. Um, so I spent a lot of time on the phone with my, um, faculty mentor and just being like, Hey, is this appropriate to use? Mm-hmm. It's, it's okay. Um, and unfortunately in that jail, because there isn't an established OT role, they don't have those tools, but thankfully, you know, I had a, a great school that was like, yeah, here's a copy of the manual for this assessment. You know, here's what it is. Go take it, play with it. So I was able to use, you know, those kind of assessments and just, feel them out. It wasn't anything that I was recording or, you know, quote unquote documenting. It was just to get the practice Mm -hmm. and being like, yeah, this could be beneficial here. Yeah, that's great. Definitely hard to pave the new way when you're the only one with that perspective in your setting. You being the kind of the only one, at least in this facility and noticing that maybe there's not a whole lot of OTs working in the criminal justice system in the U.S., are there any job opportunities for occupational therapists that you've been able to find as someone who's about to graduate? Right now it's really hard. Um, but I have been um, talking with DCSO, but they're actually opening a new behavioral um, health center downtown. Um, so kind of 
as opposed to just putting someone in jail, maybe trying out this, you know, mental health facility that they have built. You know, I forget how many beds that they had set aside for this facility, but it's brand new. Um, desperately, I'm trying to get my name out there and just being like, oh, <laughs> advocating for our profession and just being, hey, so I've sent out emails and, you know, documents to certain people that I met along the way. And there's a couple nonprofits um, here in Nashville that I've been in touch with that um, I've had the opportunity to volunteer with throughout my um, school time and just kind of being like, hey, um, even if it's part time, need no tea, let me know. Sure. Um, so you think it's a lot of kind of making I think Making your own way, finding positions that maybe aren't for OTs, but that you think an OT could fill. Absolutely. I think this, because it is such an emerging practice area, area you kind of have to pave the way on your own. Mm-hmm. Really kind of just advocate and educate people. And just really, if you want it, go for it. I'm not going to do this all myself. Like I've got <laughs> you know, great resources here in Nashville. Um, but I'm excited to see where it goes and who I meet along my way. I think it's in, in the next 10 years, I hope there's more OTs in, you know, the mental health world. Yeah. Kind of bringing us back to our roots mm-hmm. in mental health. Um, yeah. I think it's just important. Even if someone leaves a hospital, okay, well, they're usually evaluated by an OT. Okay. Well, what's the discharge plan look like for them? So mm-hmm. it's not everyone go home to a home so yeah I think that's a really good point that even people listening who maybe work in um, a rehabilitation setting where a physical rehabilitation setting I should clarify um, where the discharge plan looks a lot like where are you going and what equipment do you have Um, just this is a good reminder for us to also consider psychosocially what does your discharge look like who's really going to be there not just the person we put down so that we officially are releasing you to someone, right? But like, who's actually there with you? What are you actually going to do with your time? Um, having a bedside commode is great, but what else? <laughs> well, I mean, if you don't have a home, mm-hmm. a bedside commode is not going to serve you. It's actually not great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but knowing, I think just whatever city you live in, um, whatever population you serve, just knowing what your community offers so then you can let your patients know, I think Mm -hmm. is the biggest takeaway. Just be aware of what's out there for people. Um, You know, I moved to Nashville three years ago and I'm still learning what's out there. And I have friends that are like, Oh, did you hear about, you know, this place? Well, no, let me add it to my list of Mm -hmm. other, you know, community sites. So I think that's cool. Just talking with people. That's That's really great advice. So one thing that has kind of struck me about this conversation is that it seemed like your role was really, again, to to balance out with their experience being incarcerated with just reminding them of their dignity and of their humanity and helping them prepare to go back out into the community. I feel like so far we've talked about big picture things, the whole group, um, major concepts, but is there any particular person you worked with or any kind of group experience you had that really just you could share with us just to make this even more personal? Um, Yeah. So we did one group activity um, that I gave the women where it was, you know, I handed them a blank piece of paper and I said, decorate, write your name on it, decorate it how you want. Okay. So the next day, I had them all hang them up, you know, around the pod. 
everyone in our group had to go around to everyone's paper and write something positive um, about that person, whether it was a funny story, something they admired about that person, just to let the other person know you are not alone. You, you are worth something. And I think that was the biggest takeaway. It was in there. You, you can feel so lonely and feel like you have no friends, no one to relate to, but these women are building relationships with each other. Um, they're each other's support and just reading on those name papers, you know, the positive things other women were saying about them. I think just really opened my eyes that they are still human. They still feel, they still, mm -hmm. you know, care about each other, what happens, they still make memories and they're making the best of their situation. And it was just really cool to see that, you know, not only are they getting along, which is nice, um, <laughs> but they're able to identify positive things in someone else mm -hmm. other than themselves, or they might not really be like, Oh, I'm not worth anything. No, you are because someone sees it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really powerful thing for anyone is just knowing someone cares, someone believes in you. I think that was a really cool day. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. So uh, Caitlin, as we start to wrap up here, I always ask guests if they have a book recommendation related to the topic, not related to the topic, but just something that might be of interest to OTs? So I read it on a beach trip. I went home for a week and sat on a beach and I read. Um, <laughs> Sounds amazing. Actually, yeah, this was one my roommate actually um, recommend, but it's called When Breath Becomes Air. Yes. <laughs> yes. That was actually um, one of the other guests. Um, Becky Piazza made that one okay. of her recommendations on the show. So it must be a really good one. <laughs> good and it was an easy I'm it I struggled to sit down and read which mm -hmm. is bad but it was it was an easy read and it was good um mm -hmm. so would recommend that one I'm just picked up um where the crawdads sing I keep hearing it's a great book I just finished that last week okay so that's on my list <laughs> yeah that one was in Reese Witherspoon's book club so it's probably worth a read yeah <laughs> yeah it was pretty good and actually, that one, too, totally has an OT kind of – well, it's not – it doesn't have an OT spin on it. I would say that book has a, a different meaning maybe for OTs, and we can really read it through our lens of right. occupation and what it looks like to experience deprivation, but then also to find meaning in activities that aren't maybe mainstream or conventional. Mm -hmm. And, oh, my goodness, as far as the criminal justice system goes, actually – oh, you should be excited. Now I'm, like, giving you the review. Um, <laughs> but as far – it really starts to bring up ethical questions about the criminal justice system and what it looks like when vulnerable populations um, – mm -hmm are accused of crime. So I won't give away too much, but it's a really good book. And I definitely would be curious to talk to other OTs about it. So let me know when you read it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so we have had a really interesting conversation about what OT looks like in the criminal justice system, particularly working with women in the county jail that you worked in in Nashville and that experience of developing a program, advocating for the role of OT, and then experiencing just the the beautiful fruits that came out of that experience. Um, so I have a feeling people are going to have questions or want to reach out more if this is an area of interest for them. Um, how can people contact you? Email probably is the best way. Um, Caitlin, C-A-I-T-L-I-N, M as in May, Clark, C-L-A-R-K, one zero at yahoo.com. 
Great. Thank you so much. We'll put that in the show notes in case people want to reach out. Um, but thank you so much for sharing your experience and really just giving us a little more insight into this emerging area where OT is going to have a huge impact. Absolutely. Thank you. So today, while I talked with Caitlin, I was drinking Sargent Canyon. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon. It's a 2018 from the central coast of California. Now, this wine, I got at Aldi because whenever I have gone out to run errands, I've been trying to minimize how many places I go because of the coronavirus. So I went to Aldi for my grocery shopping, and they have a wine selection. A lot of their wines, though, are only available at Aldi. They have their own wine growers that they work through for their specific brand but I wanted to grab something while I was there and this turned out to be really good this is what I would call and my friends kind of laugh at me for this but this is what I would call a table wine so on you know your average day of the week if you want to enjoy some wine with dinner um, it's like a dependable good tasting wine nothing special nothing over the top um, but just something that you know you will enjoy if you open it that's how I would classify it. Uh, if I had to describe it, it's definitely on the bolder side and uh, more on the dry side. So if you're following along with this show, you'll notice those tend to be my favorite wines. Um, it's not particularly tannic or smooth. It's kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, some really good fruit flavors, but again, I feel like this is just a pretty versatile red that I would enjoy with a wide range of meals. I ate it with tacos this week too um so yeah i think it's a good one especially if you shop at aldi minimize how many stores you're going to during this time of the coronavirus um but i would recommend checking it out I hope you enjoyed this episode of OT Uncorked. I invite you to review OT Uncorked on your favorite podcast player. This helps other people looking for OT content find us. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook with the handle at OT Uncorked or on our website, otuncorked.com. If you're looking for more OT content, check out otpodcasts.com. There are so many great OT podcasts that are enriching our broader OT community, and we need to keep spreading the word. Thanks so much. Cheers. Cheers.